The reading today is taken from Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through to 12, verses 8, and is found on page 678 in the Church Bible. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. You who are happy, sorry, you who are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart. And whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigour are meaningless. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the, streets, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds but all their songs grow faint, when people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, uh, Vivian, for reading. We're back in Ecclesiastes reflecting on, on God's wisdom in a crooked world, in a world often that is confusing. And again, uh, as we come to the last one in this uh, series, uh, we'll need God's wisdom, I think, to help us understand uh, these words to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this book of realism and challenge that pulls no punches, is not afraid to speak truth, even when it's uncomfortable. So please may your words uh, this morning give us light 
and life as we come with listening ears and humble hearts. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, all is meaningless, says the teacher. Uh, we've discovered, isn't, as you've gone through this series, that, that that word is not quite perhaps the best translation. Life is more like vapour or, or mist. It's not that there's no point to life, but sometimes life is say, confusing. It's frustrating and it's definitely fleeting. I don't know if you've ever been on a, on a walk on a, on a foggy day, uh, perhaps hiked a path that isn't very clear. Uh, just a while back at our family, we were walking uh, in Dartmoor, and often the path just seemed to sort of vanish. Um, and we spent lots of times poring over maps that weren't that good, to be honest. Um, but one thing I did find helpful was big landmarks, perhaps a big tour somewhere that we knew we had to sort of head to the left of, or whatever it might be. And they helped us, as it were, keep on track. And this morning, I think, our teacher offers us some helpful reference points, some landmarks, as it were, to guide us and to steer us. I think important principles that will help us orientate ourselves on the journey that we call life. And we're going to look at three of them this morning. Here's the first. Risk is right. Great principle for us this morning. Risk is right. Uh, We've already seen, haven't we, that, that life is full of uncertainty and unknowns. Uh, There is actually no such thing as risk-free living. And this chapter, I think, encourages us to act positively in the midst of uncertainty and the unknowns. Look down at chapter 11, verse 1. Ship your grain across the sea, and after many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If you know the older NIV translation, it goes, cast your bread upon the waters, and in many days you may find it again. Of course, if we did that literally, you wouldn't really want to find bread that had been cast on the waters several days later, but it's a proverb, it's speaking metaphorically, speaking about making an investment with a hope of a return in view. This isn't just, I think, a word for the businessman or the businesswoman, this is a wise strategy for all of us. Uh, whether we're talking about goods or money or talents or time. Essentially, I think, it's it's a call to action, to activity rather than passivity, even when we can't neutralise, as it were, all the risks. So look down at verse 3. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. And here, I think the teacher acknowledges there are many things, aren't there, that are outside of our control. Uh, You organise a church picnic, and it rains. There's a deluge after heat waves. Um, It's true, isn't it? There's lots of unpredictability in the natural world. Um, We don't know which way a tree will fall, says the teacher. We have to live with uncertainty. But look at how he goes on in verse 4. Whoever watches the wind won't plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. If you like all your ducks, as it were, lined up, if you need all the variables controlled before you act, you'll never get anything done. Notice the teacher, get planting if you want to reap something. Cast your bread on the water, even if the outcome is not 100% guaranteed. 
And notice how the teacher keeps under, under, underlining that the limits of our knowledge, the gaps that we can never fully bridge. Verse 2, invest in seven ventures at eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So you'll see in the morning, uh, be busy in the evening, for you do not know which will succeed. And strikingly, this uncertainty isn't to keep us from acting, it is an encouragement to act to try lots of different things, uh, conscious that some might produce returns and other things might bomb. That's actually good advice for any investor, but this is, this is not pure pragmatism. It reflects our view of the world and the God behind it. Look down at verse 5. As you do not know the path of the winds or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand. Literally, you do not know the work of God, the maker of all things. See, our knowledge and our understanding is it's limited. Uh, uh, but there is a God, isn't there, who created it, created the life and the world, and indeed is sovereign over it. Uh, wonderfully, God has made many of his big plans known, hasn't he? He's promised to build his kingdom. He's promised to bring all things under that king, Jesus. And when it comes to our own lives, he's promised to commit to doing good things in all things for us as we trust him. But that being true, there's so much we don't know in the specifics, how specific events in our lives relate to those big plans that God has. And even for Christians, life is often enigmatic, it's confusing, and so it's certainly fleeting. But rather than sort of throwing our hands up in the air and saying, well, what will be will be, rather than becoming fatalists, the teacher urges us to become activists, to have a go at lots of things, because we never know which of those plans God is going to bless. So verse 2, invest in seven or eight ventures. Uh, keep putting out your seed, casting your bread on the water. Keep trusting God. I can tell you of many plans that I've had that have bombed. And perhaps in retrospect, I'm quite glad they did. <laughs> but disappointment and failure can make us often overly cautious, can't they? Unwilling to take risk. But here the teacher tells us that our limited knowledge and our experience of failure... That uh, should not result in activity, but action and endeavour. Whether we're investing in, perhaps in our careers or investing in God's kingdom. I, I grew up in a church that was often very fearful of failure. And sometimes it paralysed the church. It, it prevented the church from taking risks. Uh, because they often connected faithlessness to failure. But again, in, in this life, even in the... In, 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 gospel and endeavour. We, we can't always draw straight lines, can we, between endeavour and outcome. In fact, Jesus tells us in that famous parable of the sower, uh, sowing the same seed, but yet such different outcomes. And that parable, I think, urges us not to, to be miserly with the seed, but to sow it generously, trusting the results to God. And I think as we think about this, actually, this is quite liberating, isn't it? It's encouraging. It invites us to, say, to be bold. And what is true for us individually is also true for us as a church. Failure is not fatal, uh, says the teacher. But passivity is, inaction will always produce the same result. Nothing. Jesus makes the same, result, same point, doesn't he, in the parable of the talent. He wants us to be using the gifts and resources he's given us, not burying them in the ground, not acting out of fear, but out of faith. I was wondering, just passing over this, this last couple of years through the lockdown, perhaps we've become a bit more passive. Perhaps we've become less proactive. 
perhaps the pandemic has narrowed her horizons a little bit, uh, created perhaps new rhythms that uh, make us much more cautious. Well, the first principle in this passage is, as we navigate through life, is to be looking for new ways to invest what God has given us, not least uh, with the gospel. And as we start this new chapter uh, in the life of the church, let's pray that we'll have that kind of have-a-go mentality when it comes to reaching new people we've not reached before, as we try new doors that we haven't tried before. And if you've got suggestions about how we can be bold and proactive uh, as we move forward, well, let me know. Talk to the DCC. Let's think about ways that we can cast that bread on the water and trust God, even the unknowns and uncertainties. That's the first thing. Second uh, principle or landmark, seek joy while there is light before the shadows uh, draw in. Look down at verse 7. The teacher says, Life, uh, light is sweet and it pleases the eye to see uh, the sun. It's true, isn't it? It's great to wake up in the mornings and see the sun. I like that. Anyway, I'm a morning person. That might help a little bit as well. But I love that light flooding through and it's sunlight not grey drear. And how wonderful to have a glut of those days, even recently, over that first lockdown, perhaps. And again, as we come towards the end of this book, we find, don't we, the teacher once again urging us to enjoy God's good gifts, to enjoy the light, the sunshine, before the proverbial clouds gather. And the teacher won't spare us that note of realism. The days of light will be mixed and certainly followed uh, by days of darkness. First eight. However many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Well, someone reminded me this week that the nights are drawing in. <laughs> but rather than joining him in that, his rather gloomy outlook, it actually made me more determined than ever to enjoy those long days of light that we have in the present. But here, our our passage is not so much about the seasons of the year, but actually the seasons of life. Verse 9. You are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Looking around, some of them here. Yes, great. See, uh, there is a season of life that we are heading to, if we haven't already reached, some of us have, uh, where... Our ability to enjoy life, to savour its gifts, gets, well, blunted, doesn't it? It's called old age, by the way. (laughs) Some people call it middle age. So the teacher's message to us is, especially to the young, seek joy now, while you can, before it becomes harder, before it becomes too late. And perhaps we're rather shocked by the teacher's words in the second half of verse 9. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. This sounds like Disney, doesn't it? Well, if that sounds like a recipe for disaster, I think the teacher is reminding us again, isn't he, of the fact that we were created with desires, God-given desires. It's part of his good design for us. Indeed, many of our deepest longings, longings for, for community, for intimacy, for eternity, are desires that God has wired us with. Now, of course, uh, since the fall, uh, every part of us, including those desires, have become affected, disordered in some way. And so our hearts and what we seek are no longer an infallible guide to what is good or beneficial for us. 
But here the teacher, I think, reminds us that there are many desires for good things in God's world that we can act on. And so we are to do so before that desire weakens, fades. So yes, we will subject all those desires uh, to God's wisdom and resist sinful ones that might damage or destroy us. And there is a discernment required, isn't there? Not least in, in the light of judgment that is on the horizon that the teacher reminds us of in verse 9. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eye sees, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. I was reading that, I think our instinctive reaction to that, that verse is, here's a curb on our enjoyment and pleasure. Enjoy, but don't enjoy too much. And perhaps a picture that comes to mind is kind of God taking us into a sweet shop and then giving us a lengthy warning about the dangers of sweets. Perhaps it's that word but in our translation that kind of pushes us that way. Actually, that's not there in the, in the original. I think in the light of what the teacher says already in this book, this warning about judgment is as much a warning about despising and spurning God's gifts as a warning about abusing and misusing them. Just this week, I was reading a bit from Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, uh, the, the Narnia author. It's a fictional book of letters written by a senior devil to a junior devil, giving advice on how his protege can undermine a new Christian who's recently come to serve the enemy, that's Jesus. And, and the older devil writes these intriguing words to his protege. He says, he, that's God, is a hedonist at heart. He makes no secret of it. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He goes on, our enemy, that's God, has filled the world full of pleasures. There are things for humans to do all day long without his minding in the least. Sleeping, washing, eating, drinking, making love, playing, praying, working. Everything has to be twisted before it's any use to us. We fight under cruel disadvantages. Nothing is naturally on our side. Interesting, isn't it? C.S. Lewis reminds us, doesn't he, that God has filled the world with gifts and delights for our pleasure. He's a God who's committed to providing us with good things to enjoy. And all Satan can do is either convince us that God is actually a killjoy, as he did in the Garden of Eden, or he can twist those pleasures and pervert them. So perhaps we use them in the wrong way or in the wrong context, and we miss out on the joy that God intends for us to have. Let's not despise God's good gifts or the desire he has given us for them. Well, yesterday, uh, most of my family were out doing different things, and Nathaniel was left at home, and I left him some money for his lunch. And I was generous. I wanted to enjoy a good lunch at my expense. I think I'd have been a bit disappointed if I'd come home and he'd picked a sort of basic cheese sandwich, and that was it, from Sainsbury's. Of course, God's invitation to enjoy his gifts isn't a call to greed or selfishness or to put our hopes in those gifts. As Paul says in 1 Timothy, uh, God is a generous God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And we need to use those gifts wisely, don't we? And, and fully. So verse 10, banish anxiety from your heart, cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigour are meaning is our fleeting, our brief. Again, the teacher is saying that we only young once. Uh, strength and vigour, our ability to enjoy God's gifts will wane with time. So don't wait until it's too late. 
Enjoy what God richly provides and remember the God who has provided them. And that leads us on to our last points. Remember your creator today. Remember your creator before the end. Look down at verse 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. The thrust of this last section of our reading is very simple, isn't it? Remember God. Know and experience not only God's blessings, but God himself. Remember him now. Don't miss out on the greatest of all gifts and pleasures. Uh, Don't give your best years to chasing everything but the God who created you, knows you, and loves you above all things. Again, the days of trouble are on the horizon, aren't they? Not just a few cloudy days in the summer, but a lengthy season where those clouds come and, and settle. Of course, when we're young, we have those odd cloudy days, don't we? But in spring and summer, we know that sunshine's never far away. But by late autumn and into winter, the darkness and the greyness becomes more and more settled, doesn't it? Almost constant. And we head, in what, we head into what we sometimes call the, the twilight years. And the first half of Ecclesiastes 12 is a, a strikingly poetic and poignant description of old age where physical, uh, physical strength declines. It's pictured like a house slowly falling into ruin. Quite chirpy, isn't it? Uh, a house, verse 3, if you look down, where the keepers tremble. It's keepers tremble. Probably keepers are a reference to hands and to arms that shake, don't they, as we get older sometimes. Where strong men, probably a reference to legs, begin to buckle and struggle to keep us upright. Grinders are probably a reference to teeth that we begin to lose as we get older. Our eyes are the windows that get harder to see through. Our ears are the doors that get shut as we struggle to hear voices and sounds. Well, if there are debates about some of the imagery, the picture's pretty clear, isn't it? second half of the verse 4 speaks of insomnia of the elderly, waking up with the birds but not being able to hear them. It's rough, isn't it? And verse 5 speaks of those afraid of heights, daunted by steps and stairs, afraid of streets, feeling unsafe in them. And like grasshoppers, once we jumped and were full of vigour, now we're dragging our bodies around. Let me encourage you to revisit these words in your leisure, even if they do make for uncomfortable reading. Do you know, I don't think these words here are to make us bitter. You see, it is possible to age beautifully. There are some people here who do that really well. Do you remember what Paul says? Uh, if inner transformation is going on, we might be wasting away on the outwards, but if, we're in, if God is renewing us by his spirit inside, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's wonderful to see. So he makes us more like Jesus. That is a glorious prospect, isn't it? Uh, that will become increasingly evident as we walk closely with him, even if, as our bodies show signs of wear and decline. Well, if the teacher's words make us uncomfortable, we can't deny, can we, their truth. We will age. Our bodies will break down and life will end, verse 6. The silver cord will be severed, golden bowl broken. Well, this is hard to hear. It is, isn't it, I think. What are we urged to do? Remember him. Remember our creator. 
before it's too late. And if he's having established that life is uh, fleeting, that there's an end point, I think the teacher urges us to kind of work backwards from that point, keep that landmark in view and to live wisely in the light of that reality. And that means remembering God, remembering him now before the opportunity is gone. So as I finish, just let me think about a little bit what does that actually look like? What does it mean to remember God? Well, sometimes remembering can simply mean, can't it, recalling something, like remembering your password to your online banking account. But in English, remember can be more profound, can't it? So if someone comes to you and says, remember the war, it's not just recall it, admit it happened, it is to live in it, in its life, isn't it? It is to, to bring it to mind in a way that shapes us in the present and impacts how we live now. So remember our creator is not just to give him the odd nod, is it? It's to affirm that he exists, yes, but to remember he's the source of life. Uh, he's given our lives to us as a gift, a precious gift to enjoy, uh, to use wisely, uh, knowing that we have it on loan, that one day we will give it back. It's a it's that kind of remembering. And it's the kind of remembering that changes everything. It certainly subverts the world's understanding, doesn't it? Uh, of the world's wisdom that declares that life is mine. Now, I can do with it what I want. No one tells me how to live my life. What do you say? But our teacher urges us to remember that he uh, is our creator. There is a creator. And ultimately, we will need to account, won't we, to him for how we've spent and how we've used our lives, how we've used his gifts, not least that gift of life. And he's not just someone who we acknowledge uh, just we want something from him uh, when we think he can offer us something. Living like that is living is still with me, isn't it, in the centre. Now, this is an urgent call to remember our creator and to, to radically shape our lives around him around his agenda, his good and enduring purposes. Recognition is not only the giver of life, but alone can define what life is when it's successful. So recognition that our, one day our lives will be demanded of us and judged. So remember that this week. Remember that if you are young, if life stretches out before you, with lots of options and opportunities, Remember him. This is a call to experience, I think, joy in relationship with an amazing and generous God. Don't make that sort of tragic mistake of trying to live life without him and miss out on what Jesus calls life to the full. It's a call, isn't it, for us today, whoever we are, whatever stage of life we're in, to seek God. Well, Jesus, the one who is God's ultimate wisdom, urges us to seek him, to, to repent of the ways we have ignored him, and even this morning to receive that mercy and forgiveness uh, we need to lay hold of that wisdom as he offers uh, us that life of fruitfulness and joy. And we seek to live it only for his glory and also for our good. Let's pray as we finish.
Remember your creator. Father, we pray that that little expression maybe will continue to reverberate around our heads and our hearts, even this week. Thank you that you are that God who is generous, who's good, gives good gifts. Father, everything that we have that we enjoy ultimately comes from you. Please help us not just to acknowledge those gifts, but even this week to acknowledge you and to live boldly, wholeheartedly for you. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.